What does motion sound like? With Kizikans free shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizikcom socks. Every day, scientists are learning more and more about how human brains work and how many of us don't fit into the old-fashioned understanding of how brains should work. But a lot of ideas about parenting and familial relationships still need to catch up to the reality of human variation. Neurological differences are natural, profoundly valuable parts of being in a community together and in being part of a family. Whoever you are, wherever you are in your journey, I am here to explore with you. We are all in this together. Welcome to Neurodivergent. to the pilot episode of Neurodiverging. I'm Danielle. I'm so excited to be here, and I really, really appreciate you clicking on this and being here with me. So Neurodiverging is an ongoing podcast series, and it will be exploring different aspects of neurodivergence in the family context. So if you're neurodivergent, or living with a parent or a child or a partner who is, or any combination of the above, like in my house, please stick around. Uh, Again, my name's Danielle. I am not a doctor, a therapist, or any kind of medical professional, but I am an autistic mom with significant executive dysfunction and sensory processing issues, and also anxiety. Yay! Lots of things. My partner and my five-year-old daughter have attention disorders, and my seven-year-old son is on the spectrum with me. My partner and I went undiagnosed until after our kids were born, so we've had a pretty steep learning curve, which has sometimes been really difficult, but ultimately fulfilling as we get to know more about ourselves and neurodivergence and neurodiversity and how our brains work as neurodiverse neurodiverse individuals. Um, We did a lot of work to educate ourselves when we became aware of our differences, and I found that it was really hard to find resources from folks who are neurodivergent themselves. Um, It's definitely getting better, but until recently, it was even hard to find blogs from autistic women or from um, really anyone uh, in the neurodivergence community. Um, so I really feel like as good as it is to be talking to your doctors and your therapists and your medical professionals, which you certainly should be doing, uh, you also need to be talking to your community too, other folks with the same diagnoses as you and your family. They're the ones who have the most inside info on how to work with your strengths or those in your family and make life work for you. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. My own autistic and ADHD friends have been so valuable to me, for example, um, as I work to adjust my parenting to the needs and styles of my own kids. And even the most well-meaning medical professionals, if they're neurotypical, sometimes they don't have great 
understandings about what certain diagnoses mean in terms of future growth and development, um, participation in social family life, achieving meaningful employment, a whole host of other real life issues. Um, they can't be in your shoes, so they just don't know. Um, talking to other people who are like you can give you a broader understanding of what's possible and what works and what doesn't. And maybe most importantly, seeing other people who are just like you can go a long way towards making you feel less alone. Also, you drive the bus. You decide on medical treatments and interventions, therapies, medications, everything. And you owe it to yourself to be as well-informed as you possibly can and to make sure any interventions that are suggested to you are things that you are choosing because they will help you and support your goals and not just things that the doctor recommends to everybody who walks in the door with the same diagnosis as you. Because that happens a lot and it's not great and people are individuals and sometimes what works for Susie who is also an autistic mom, uh, won't work for me and vice versa. So, you know, you drive the bus, you decide. Anyway, that's part of why I think information like this is so necessary and so important and why I'm so excited to start this podcast. And I really hope that I can be of some help and support to you wherever you are in your personal journey. Generally, I'll be discussing more practical information about living as a neurodivergent person or with someone who's neurodivergent. Um, but for this initial episode, I thought it might be more helpful to back up a little bit and talk about what neurodivergence is and what it means and why it's important to think about it in your day-to-day -day life. Then um, I'll talk a little bit about the neurodiversity movement, which is a foundation of my own approach to parenting and working and my own self-care and really everything I do. So um, it's going to kind of become imbued into this podcast, and I think it's important to talk about it a little bit. So first, neurodivergence. <laughs> the uh, This is a little like academic, so put up with me for a second. It's helpful, I really do think. So neurodivergence is um, the neuropsychology community coined the term neurodivergent to refer originally to anybody presenting an atypical neurology. Yeah, we're going to get back to atypical later, so hang on. Anyway, there are tons of examples of neurodivergence as an atypical neurology, but some of the most popular ones are things like being on the autism spectrum or Asperger's, um, being in the umbrella of attention deficit disorder, uh, dyslexia, epilepsy, hyperlexia, dyspraxia, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, excuse me, and Tourette syndrome along with probably um, the most common ones, I think, depression and anxiety disorders. And those are just some examples. They are no, by no means meant to be exhaustive at all. Um, sometimes things like executive dysfunction and sensory processing issues um, also count as neurodivergence in and of themselves. Sometimes, though, they're symptoms of a larger neurodevelopmental condition, like, for example, my sensory processing disorder um, is linked to the autism spectrum disorder. Uh, some people just have the sensory processing issues without being autistic. Um, they're both, so they are both uh, neurodivergences, but even though they're called the same thing, they kind of look different. Um, so one thing you might have noticed about the word neurodivergence is that it implies the existence of a typical neurology, right? So we have atypical and typical. You can't diverge from nothing. You have to be diverging from somewhere. Um, and that somewhere is this idea of neurotypical, which I mentioned briefly before, uh, neurotypical being the quote unquote normal neurology that the majority of humans share. So there are a group of people and professionals who believe that anybody who, with any neurodevelopmental condition that falls under the neurodivergence umbrella is a person who needs to be fixed or needs to be cured or needs to be made into a quote normal person. 
Okay. So this is pretty problematic, right? It implies that, for example, someone with autism like me doesn't get to be treated as valuable and valid unless I work very hard to conform to be a normal, quote, person, to make myself look and act like a neurotypical person. Um, now, some autistic folks are able to do this for short periods of time, but at huge cost. And a lot of neurodivergent folks like just can't look like neurotypical folks because they're not. Um, so even if you are capable of looking like a neurotypical person from the outside, um, living in what is basically a performance for your entire life is deeply stressful, extremely difficult, and it can make you feel dehumanized and alone. And a lot of us experience a huge increase in exacerbation in symptoms when we do that. And that's just me speaking for myself as an autistic woman. A lot of folks with other conditions, again, can't mimic neurotypical people. So the point is kind of moot. But even if you could do all of this work and put yourself through all this stress, neurodivergences can't be cured. By that I mean there is no way to take a neurodivergent brain and turn it into a neurotypical brain. There are no medications, no therapies, no surgeries that will ever achieve this. And I and a lot of other people would argue that neurodivergences absolutely don't need to be cured. They are a normal part of the range of human neurology. Okay. I am not saying that all neurodevelopmental conditions are great. All right. Certainly there are a lot of types or degrees of neurodivergence that are terribly difficult to live with or that present along with other disabilities that are really, really challenging for the individual and their families. And I'm not trying to minimize those individuals or their concerns. I'm also not trying to speak against seeking medical attention or therapies or medications. Um, my kids are in speech therapy and occupational therapy. I'm on an antidepressant, so I'm not like trying to be, I think people should use the resources they need to use. And that is a deeply personal decision. Um, and I am not here to make that more difficult for you. I'm here to honor your personal decisions. Okay. I'm saying as a general sense, these are supports, right? They are to help you. They are not cures. And that's the difference I'm trying to make. So regardless of how challenging life can be with these conditions, these disabilities, the differences are still part of a normal human range, right? So individuals um, might feel like their condition is uh, like completely unreasonable and may want a cure, but the condition itself is still part of a normal human range. That's what I'm trying to say, okay? Um, they're not rare outliers by any means. Like the percentage of folks who count under the neurodiverging neurodivergence umbrella is a huge percentage of the population. And a lot of us are undiagnosed or underdiagnosed. And so don't get counted in like research studies and papers and numbers. So that's like a whole nother thing. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at and many of us who are neurodivergent will tell you that there are a huge number of benefits to having brains that work differently. And it, again, it depends on the condition and the severity. Um, but a lot of us have great skills that are directly, that arise directly kind of out of our differences and which are often things that neurotypical folks have trouble with 
Um, so for example, this is kind of a random example from my own life. I have an outrageous memory that is context-based or like environment-based. Um, so it's linked up to what I was doing and where I am, uh, where I was. So I can recite for you whole conversations that happened the last time we came to this restaurant and who ate what and what they thought about it and what the server recommended and like everything. If a song comes on the radio, I get like um, slideshow in my head of things that happened to me or ways I felt or like experiential data basically. Um, that are linked up with listening to that song. So this is not particularly helpful most of the time, but it has its benefits. And I have access to a huge amount of memory, detailed memory, uh, that I can access through specific stimuli, even though my memory for everyday things, and especially my short-term memory, are awful, like really poor. Um, I can use this sort of a hack of my memory to my advantage by specifically including a trigger like music or a specific place when I know I'll need to recall information later. Um, and I do it pretty often. Um, I have so many I've developed over, you know, more than 30 years of life, so many ways to trick myself into remembering things because I can't do it. Um, like not, not, Naturally is not a great word, but I, I can't do it any other way. If I don't trick myself into doing it, I will not remember the thing. So um, I've discovered all these ways to remember the thing. Um, I have never, ever, 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 ever met a neurotypical person who can do this to the extent that I can. There are, you know, neuro there are plenty of neurotypical people with great memories and a lot of them with memories that are way better than mine. But the amount of data I can um, link up to a specific kind of sensory experience is unusual. Is there a neurotypical person out there who can do this? Yes, probably. But what I have found from talking to other autistic folks in the community is that it's really prevalent among autistic people to have kind of alternative memory systems um, in place that neurotypical folks don't have. And there are examples, um, there you can kind of see that having a variation of approaches to the same task can really help you um, in certain situations where you need as much data as you can. So the idea I'm driving at basically at its super simplest is that humankind as a whole does better if our communities have both neurotypical and neurodivergent people in them, right? Together, we have a wider range of skills and abilities and a more varied approach to strategizing and solving world problems for everybody. We've evolved this diversity on purpose. Humans are diverse, neurodiverse, because we function the best this way as the group. Now, this idea that neurodiverse folks have value in and of ourselves and that our diversity is natural and purposeful and that we don't need to be fixed or changed or cured for the most part, okay, forms the basis of what's called the neurodiversity movement. The neurodiversity movement is generally under the umbrella of disability rights as a whole. Um, it's the idea that anybody with any kind of disability deserves support structures that honor them as individuals who have the same rights to access the world as able-bodied people. Um, nobody should be forced into whatever definition of quote normal currently reigns supreme in psychology. Psychology changes all the time. And psychologists and psychiatrists and all medical professionals are doing their best and it is a difficult field so this is not like no hate <laughs> to them um, but what I'm saying is that what we see as kind of normal psychology uh, changes very often as we learn more about the brain and so um, the definition of what like a normal person looks like like who's your Joe Schmo in the textbook 
um, and what should they look like changes constantly. And so um, there's, it doesn't really help most anybody really, even neurotypical people to hold up Joe Schmo and say, well, is your brain exactly like his? But especially um, people who are neurodivergent, trying to make them into Joe Schmo is super unhelpful because our brains are different. We're wired different. Um, and so the neurodiversity movement is the idea, not that neurodivergence is at all better than neurotypicality, right? Because as I just said, like we need both, but rather it's a claim that people deserve access to supports that work for them and that all people are valid and should be valued regardless of the way that their brains work or don't work in some cases, like in the case of my short-term memory. Um, so in case you can't tell, neurodiversity is really, really important to me and it's a key part of how I raise my kids. And like I said earlier, it's a key part of how I think about myself and my life and my community. Um, hopefully you're starting to see by now that all of our brains work in different ways. And for everybody, regardless of diagnosis or lack thereof, you will have some skills that are really, really strong and some skills that are really poor. And that's just sort of normal. Uh, ha, normal again. But it is a, a feature of human individuals, right? That some of us are really good at some things and equally poor at other things. And just that's just how people are. So some of those weaknesses are things that we can change, right? If we want to, with hard work and medication or therapies or whatever. But some weaknesses are permanent. Like no matter how much you work at them, you're not going to get stronger in whatever that skill is. And that's just, that's not a fault, right? That's just how you are. So those weaknesses are not a reflection of who you are as a person, right? So another example, I'm often face blind. Um, so I have trouble recognizing faces, again, outside of context. If I see you every day at the store, I know who you are. But if I see you even though I've seen you every day at the store for months, if I then see you at the library, I will not recognize who you are until I hear your voice. Okay. That's just how my brain is. I am often face blind and I will always be often face blind. I can't change it. Right. There's no like, there's no pill I can take. There's no, there's not a lot of therapies you can do to change that. Um, does it make meeting friends occasionally awkward? Oh my gosh. So much. Right. Uh, does it mean I'm a bad friend? No. It does not. Absolutely not. My friends know that I might not recognize their faces if we're meeting in a new environment. And supportive friends are 1000% okay with that because they know it's a thing my brain does and not a thing that I, Danielle, have control over. It's impossible to grow and learn and become better people if we can't accept that there are some things and some aspects of ourselves and our brains that we can't change by pure willpower, all the therapies in the world, right? And for those things, Finding and using the right supports are paramount. I know that not everybody has access to the supports they need, and that is part of why the neurodiversity movement and promoting disability rights are so important. It's important that we model that for our kids and our partners and our communities, that regardless of your own neurology, we're good enough as we are, right? We are allowed to communicate about things that are especially tough for us. That's not complaining. You're allowed to call out that a support that you need isn't there. We need to be able to trust that our friends and families and medical professionals will help us deliver, sorry, develop alternative methods or solutions, right? And deliver them, honestly, that they will solve problems with us, with us, with us. We can accept help when we need it or even when we just want it, okay? 
again, these things are true whether you're neurotypical or neurodivergent. You are good enough and you don't have to do everything independently all the time. So let's just give each other some grace here, okay? If you are a parent to a child who is expected to grow up to be relatively independent, remember that you're preparing your kid to drive their own bus, as it were. They need to be able to determine for themselves which kinds of supports they need or want, whether those are medical, social, practical, whatever, right? And even if your child will need medical or physical support for their whole life, if they can communicate, they deserve some say, some help solving the problems that seem the biggest to them, even if they don't seem like the biggest problems to you. Okay. Accepting that different brains work differently is the most basic assumption we need to be making around neurodivergence and disability. If we agree that the vast majority of folks are trying their very best, if we are open to hearing what people tell us about their own disabilities and their own needs, and if we can stop assuming that the normal ways of going about things are always the best, then um, we can go a long way in raising the quality of life for neurodiverse folks and like for everybody, right? Um, all of these goals start at home and in the community where you have the chance to model these ideals for your kids and for your families and for your neighbors and for yourself and for everybody. So, okay. I hope that this sort of starter kit on neurodiversity and its value has been helpful. And again, thank you so much for being here with me on Neurodiverging. Um, show notes and a transcript are available on my website, which is www.neurodiverging.com. And you can also sign up for my mailing list there if you want to be notified when new episodes come out. Um, I'm also on Patreon. I'll put the link in the show notes as well, but it's patreon.com slash neurodiverging. So pretty easy to find. If you'd like to support my ability to spend more time on this podcast, um, it helps with research, better recording equipment, releasing episodes more often, like everything. So in the near future, um, heads up, we'll feature a couple of deep dives into my background and parenting story, uh, how to tell if you or your family member are dealing with sensory differences, and some of the apps I use to reduce the effects of my executive dysfunction. That's just a start. Uh, I've got a huge list of topics. I welcome any feedback or questions always. Thank you for listening today. Does your father know you're listening to this podcast? Well, when you're done, why don't you stop by and check out a show that is 100% dad-approved, Dadages. Hi there, I'm Chad Higgins. If you're looking for useful insights and practical advice you can actually apply to work, family, education, philanthropy, and just life in general, check out Dadages. That's D-A-D-A-G-E-S, wherever you listen to your podcasts.